Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome, beautiful people. Oh, and hi, Selena and Jackie <gasps> and Marcella. We are back Whoa. after a two You're going to disrespect Marcella like I that? I said, and Marcella, beloved, mind your Jackie business. I mean, you can disrespect us, but like... <laughs> not our special <laughs> guest. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? I am a man, and I am tired of you women not listening to okay. me when I speak. Guys, yeah. we are back for another action-packed episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard. Are you confused? Probably so, because it's been two weeks Stanley, since it's been you have heard one week. my beautiful voice. And or Selena, has it been two weeks? it's been two weeks. See, Selena for, for doesn't you, even know how long it's because been. you weren't here yes, the old. last week that Alyssa and I were here. Yes, so I it's said been it's like three weeks for you. No, two weeks. So right. it's been one week for me. Yes, Selena. I feel like it's been more. That's because you're always going on quote unquote work weeks. trips <laughs> to the Bahamas <laughs> and to Miami, Florida, and to Carnival Barbados. when you're dancing with Rihanna. <laughs> Yes, that's that why. was a work trip. Mm-hmm. Yes, when you and Rihanna were taking shots, I knew you were working very hard. I wish I was a Rihanna guy. But anyways, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. We are happy to be here with you. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm in the studio with, well, I'll let them introduce themselves after I am done telling you who I am. My name, Stanley Fritz. Where do I live? Harlem. Where you can find me? Twitter at Stan Fritz. Where else? Instagram at Stan Fritz. Where else? Snapchat once every three months at Dark Skin Swindle. Yes. Well, thank you, Stanley. And welcome, everyone, to the show. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where apparently Stanley likes to dominate the conversation. Apparently. No. Really? I got that um, Monday through Friday. Right? Hey, <laughs> Pretty much. So, yeah, we talk about social issues, politics, foreign policy, and we do that all from a millennial perspective. Um, yeah, thank and this is also WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. Are you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. And I spell Miss with an M-S. Jackie? Hello. I, I feel like for me it's been almost a month. No, maybe right. it's been three weeks since I've been here last. I'm mm-hmm. very happy to be back. I was traveling around a little bit. Um, but I missed you guys. It's no nice one to... missed you, Jackie. Yes, None you of us did. missed you. Even you missed me. You I probably did. missed me most of all, Stanley. You know, Jackie, I am tired of your Jackie Cohen lies. <laughs> you know what, guys, if you're listening right now and the trains have not been working, it's oh because Jackie was on vacation instead of making sure that they worked. You are so... <laughs> yes, I took a vacation. I apologize. Um, and you could follow me on Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram at Jackie Cohen. That's J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. Um, and, you know, tweet at me your train woes, because that's certainly what Stanley likes to do. <laughs> and we have a very special guest in the studio today. Oh, Marcella, <laughs> Stanley, would you like to introduce her? I will introduce herself since she was a little confused for a second. Guys, we have a very special <laughs> guest, a good friend of mine, someone who I call the essence of petty, because not only is she brilliant, <laughs> she can be petty in a thunderstorm. And she was in Hurricane Irina right now, and they asked her why she hadn't left. She'd be like, well, maybe the governor doesn't believe in certain things. I don't know, because that's how she rolls in these streets. Her name is Marcella <laughs> Barrientos, or you can call her Marcia Lago, as I do from Mondays Marcia through Fridays. Lago. Yes. Welcome, nice. Marcella. What's your official title <laughs> and introduction? Um, my name is Marcella Barrientos. And Barrientos. Bar- <laughs> Did you just tell her how to pronounce Did her name? Did you just mansplain to Marcella <laughs> how to pronounce her name? Okay. A little bit. Cool. Um, and I work with the New York Civic Engagement Table as the Director of Training and Leadership Development. And yes, at times, when it's 
I think fair. Petty day. <laughs> I find every day is petty day for me. You know, you just yeah. got to keep a long list of names, I especially in these times. Oh, yeah. Especially I have a long now. memory. No, absolutely. I mean, this is the era of petty. <laughs> um, this week was the week of petty. Oh, my it God. was. Um, and we have a lot to talk about. A lot has happened. A lot has transpired in the last two weeks since Let Your Voice Be Heard has been live and in effect. Uh, so we're going to start the show talking about the end of DACA. Um, so we know that Donald Trump has launched an all-out war against immigrants here in the United States. Now he is targeting dreamers, uh, the people that uh, President Barack Obama said, you can stay in this country if you were brought here before you were 16 by your parents from another country. You may not have uh, papers, but you were brought here by no fault of your own. And if you don't have a, you know extensive criminal record uh, and you are contributing to society and in a specific age bracket, then you are more than welcome to be here. Uh, that happened a few years ago. We all celebrated and applauded. And now Donald Trump says, no, let's kick out these people who are contributing to our economy and to our society. Horrible. So yeah, we're going to really talk about smart. that. And we have a special dreamer who is going to be calling in, who we will introduce later on into the show. Yeah, we do. Donald Trump really sucks. And I, I watch. <laughs> you say it like you're like, you know, something that I just <laughs> thought of that no one else has thought Listen, of. Listen, since I was almost partially suspended for saying punch Nazis, I yeah. have to make sure I'm watching my language, but also punch Nazis. Anyways, Donald Trump is a really bad person. Yeah, did you guys know that? I, I think we figured I it out. I think we got it, yeah. Some, sometimes <laughs> during the last... Three decades. Yeah, right. I think we figured it out. All right, just um, Later on in the show, we will be talking about the devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey in particular and Hurricane Irma. Now, besides the devastation, we'll be also talking about why the Trump administration and Republicans continue to deny climate change, which has huge impacts on these victims. So, like, the two go hand in hand. And we're mm -hmm. going to have extensive discussion about just the... the politics around this issue, policy that could prevent environmental disasters, or at least the impact that they're having, especially on those who are disenfranchised the most. And then last but not least, Stanley will be giving us a quickie slash rant on Pedro Hernandez. Yep. Stanley, can you brief us, please? So Pedro Hernandez is a young man from the Bronx who was arrested um, a couple of months ago by the NYPD 42nd um, police precinct in the Bronx, and he was accused of attempted murder and aggravated assault for shooting someone in the leg. This happened despite several people on the ground saying that he was not the shooter and also the person that came out and said that he shot, he was a shooter, coming back out and saying that he was forced to say that on a record for the police. But if you think that's ridiculous, Pedro Hernandez has been being targeted by that precinct and by a particular officer for the last two years. And the reason why is disgusting. We'll talk about that later. And we'll also talk about its larger connection to the criminal uh, justice reform movement here in the entire country. So we have a lot to talk about. Shout out to Alyssa Fuchs, our resident legal scholar, who is not with us today. <coughs> Where is she again? I forget. So she's in Long Island with some friends, but this weekend she was judging oh, moot court. Right. And so shout out to Alyssa for that moot court judging. Shout judging. out to Alyssa for making me laugh with the most Alyssa Facebook status ever. <laughs> that was what like, was I'm, it? It was like, I'm judging moot court, and it makes me really want to be arguing these cases instead. And I was really? like, of course. I'm sure Alyssa was sitting there like, I would have made this argument so much better. You know, I would have like said this and not that. I, I have, rule. I got this. I have expected her to get kicked off for arguing with the moot quarters. <laughs> like, wait, you're getting it wrong. Like, you're all wrong. This is why. <laughs> for real. And like, that's why Alyssa is my lawyer. <laughs> Alyssa is lawyer-splaining exactly. those points. 
poor students. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So we have a great show lined up. And of course, we want you to let your voice be heard. That means you can tweet us at be heard underscore radio. You can also call in. The hotline number is 212-650-6903. We will be going on a quick break. But when we come back, Stanley will be kicking off the show with the, the ending of DACA. Stay tuned. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Marcella Barrientos, who is our special guest. I am also here with Jackie Cohen, who I sent a tweet to yesterday. She did not respond to because she's a (coughs) hater. And of course, I am here with Selena, always on Workcation Hill. I'm not talking about the one with Charlie. I'm talking about the one with the, the Jesus um, Marishes. Nikes. Yeah. Apparently that's old. That came out in I, June. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw that before, yeah. which is why I didn't respond. You know what? Maybe. Stay topical. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, please do. Because, <laughs> like, don't, don't bore me with old about. news. Thank you, beloved. Jeez. Thank you, beloved. <laughs> Speaking of old news, the Essence of Racism, Jeff Sessions, on Tuesday, announced that the government would be stopping, grant, they would stop granting protections from, from deportation for people under the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program. If you're not sure what that program is, it was a program started by President Barack Obama in 2012, which at the time, a lot of Republicans felt he was doing so he can get their votes, even though people who have DACA protections can't vote or whatever. According to an official Department of Homeland Security memo, people who have already applied for DACA protection will have their application processed normally, but the government won't accept any new applications after Tuesday. While speaking about the reasons of getting rid of this, Attorney General Jeff Bogard Sessions said that, when this was implemented by Barack J. Kwan Hussein Obama, it was done without any congressional approval that Obama was just trying to give benefits to illegal aliens. This is These are his words, not mine. And that these, quote-unquote, illegal aliens had taken jobs from millions of Americans. So besides being racist, he also compounded that with a bunch of lies about people he clearly knows nothing about. While, now that this has happened, you have a lot of people, dreamers in particular, 800,000 if we're giving you the exact number, who are really concerned about their status in this country because through this program, they have been able to get working papers, they have been able to get some kind of stability under the U.S. government, and they have been able to come out of hiding and just grow into the country that they have always called their own. And now, with President Trump slash Jeff Bogart Sessions' announcement, these dreamers have a six-month timeline in which the president says he will give Congress to get something done before he gets rid of the entire program so now before we actually stop and say wow donald trump actually gave a timeline or something and he's giving people a chance to kind of figure things out don't get too excited because you know what as much as this makes you feel like this is a good thing it is not so here is something that you should know those currently covered under the program if your daca status is expiring this year you need to reapply for renewal by March, which is generally two years earlier than two months earlier than people would usually have to do it. And if you do not, you will be eligible to be deported or put on the charges right now, which means by the time that April comes, you could find yourself in trouble. And also, this is not a timeline to wait on Congress and then, then they do it. No, they have already started to wind down this program. This is what is happening. And we all know how effective Congress is at passing really mm-hmm. meaningful immigration law, right? So well, I, yeah, no. I mean, it's like 
give it to this body of government that has like zero ability to pass anything meaningful when it comes to immigration reform. Well, that's not fair, Jackie. When it comes to passing laws that help the super rich, they're super. Oh, old. you're <laughs> totally right. I I definitely forgot. So sorry, <laughs> my apologies for mis m misstating that. But yeah, I mean, this is such a cop out, and you know, I think something that I was sort of struck with was um, the response from the GOP that was like, you know, this isn't about the these children or these. Uh, this isn't about these immigrants. It's about the way in which this act was enacted, right? It, it's about uh, President Obama overstepping his boundaries and putting DACA into place in a way that we didn't like, not, you know, benefiting 800,000 um, uh, undocumented Americans, but by, you know, like, the criticism was towards Obama and the process, not towards the act itself. Well, well, and here's the thing. They criticized Obama for using an executive order to um, in, implement an uh, immigration policy, but that's one of the first things that yeah. Donald Trump did. Yeah. He used an executive order to uh, infiltrate immigration policy by blocking Muslims from overseas to, to coming to our country. He did the same thing. Well, guys, let's get our eyes back on the prize. Republicans are A, hypocrites, and B, racist, so we don't really have to argue that. I want to know your reactions to Jeff Borgard Sessions and Donald Pile of Garbage Trump putting this putting out this six-month timeline to get rid of DACA. And I want to start with Marcella. Um, so like any other issue with immigration, I think it's always dangerous to speak about it in silos, meaning the U.S. has a long history of racist policy, mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to immigration. If we look historically at um, the regions that they capped in terms of how many people they would allow to enter the country or that they would be willing to um, allow to become citizens. I mean, this isn't shocking. <laughs> yeah, right? right. It's shocking in the term in terms of the emotional and physical and psychological impact that this is going to have for our generation and for a multitude of communities. Um, but one of my biggest concerns, and it goes beyond DACA, and I think it's really about how did we end up with so many people migrating? And that has a lot to do with U.S. trade policy. When we look at the effects of NAFTA, when we look at the effects of CAFTA, we realize that these policies literally destabilize these economies in Central America and Mexico. And right after that, you saw a rise of migration and also the language that we use to talk about or describe um, people who migrate here. You know, and I think thinking about it in terms of are people immigrating or migrating or are they displaced because they don't have a local economy that can support their um Sustain. Sorry, I always get confused with the hand signals. You guys, it throws me off. But um, you know, if you can't sustain your life and your family where you are, you are left with limited options, and migration then becomes an option. And the way we have treated this entire generation, I think, is you can equate it to generational trauma that we're going to see for years, especially as Latina, someone who was undocumented once, when the state has so much control over your body. Right. You are a criminal. And that narrative uh, that has been used to dehumanize people who contribute to our taxes, people who are our neighbors, people who are part of the fabric of this country. I think we're in very dangerous waters, especially when we don't talk about the policy. Marcelo, thank you for that. You are 100 percent right. And before I get to Jackie and Selena, I know we have a caller on the line. Terry, let your voice be heard. Yes. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm almost sympathized. I'm uh, leaning with the the female who just spoke. You know, I'm more concerned with the the safety and the protection of these individuals when they go back. 
you know, because, I mean, this has been tossed and turned around for like at least over a year now, and I think it's a done deal. So I think this be some more preparation of how do you protect these individuals? How do you protect them when they get back? How do you shutter them, show them back? And is there some kind of uh, reciprocation with government to government on firmly stating that these individual families and so forth should be protected and the, the chaos that whatever they ran away from should no longer be permitted? Thank you very much for calling yeah. with that question, Terry. Selena, I think you have an answer for him. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I think what Terry was saying, and I could be wrong if he wants to clarify, but it sounds like he's saying if, God forbid, people are starting are, are deported in mass as they were un- under the Obama administration, what's going to happen then? How do we continue to protect them? Because a lot of these people are refugees or they're seeking asylum from gang infested and drug infested um, communities, and and that also has to do with the U.S. and because that's happened because of um our, the U.S. war on drugs. So I think he was saying once this goes into effect, how can we protect these people, these children, if they are forced to go back to another country the best way to protect them is to not enforce this stupid rule and just let let people stay and create a path to citizenship for people and the only reason that hasn't happened is because the republican party has ra- has a racist base that they have to pander to jackie let me just give the number thank you terry for calling in Please. guys if you want to continue to chime in the number is 212-650-6903 um i i think and forgive me if i'm misinterpreting terry's comments but part of that rang to me as well this is inevitable this is the way that our country's going so what can we do to like lessen the blow and i reject that idea that there's nothing that we can do to fight back and fight this decision. I mean, DACA in the first place was a hard fought battle um, to be implemented in the first place. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of political power, um, you know, certainly that I've seen from young undocumented people in this country um, that has who have been able to enact great change. And so I reject this idea of like, well, this is just going to happen. And what can we do to lessen the blow? I think we need to fight as hard as we possibly can to keep this from happening um, in the first place. Yeah. And and we also have to understand how we got to a point where DACA, the deferred action DACA was a thing that President Obama had to do as an executive order. He was originally trying to pass a Dream Act, the Dream Act, which would have provided a path to citizenship for most of these dreamers and a a broader group of people. (coughs) And the Dream Act is a bill that has been in negotiation in different forms since at least 2001 when President Bush tried to get it through. But then all of a sudden, the Republican base was like, wait a minute, more brown people in the country? Mm-hmm. We don't think so. And their anger pushed that bill to be shelved, even though we know that the majority of people who are overstaying their visas in, in, our, in this country, quote-unquote, illegally, are from Canada. But I digress. So anyway, at the 2010 failure of the DREAM Act, President Obama had come to a point where he realized there would be no way to get any kind of meaningful immigration legislation passed through Congress and Senate. So what he did instead was pass the Deferred Action. So what does that mean? So in the summer of 2012, rather than relying on immigration and custom enforcement agents to protect immigrants by declining to deport them, the administration decided to allow DREAMers to apply for protection from deportation themselves. So in that same summer, he announced deferred action for childhood arrivals. It allows young, unauthorized, excuse me, undocumented people who meet certain criteria to apply for a commitment from the federal government for deferred action. That is a commitment not to initiate deportation proceedings for at least two years. Successful applicants also receive a work permit. So that means that every two years, these dreamers have to reapply for this status. But there's more with that. So 
along with this, you also had to have come into the country at age 15 years or younger, gotten here before 2007, not have a criminal record, be in school or have a high school diploma or in college or in the military. Or honorably discharged from the military. Thank you, or honorably discharged Mm -hmm. from the military. And it was supposed to be available for about 1.3 million people who should have been able to be eligible. But that number is only 800,000 right now, 750,000 if you're being exact at the moment. And a lot of people fell through the cracks in that program. Do you know why? Because a lot of African-American, excuse me, a lot of um, black immigrants in places like Jamaica and Trinidad and St. Martin and Haiti and so on and so forth fell through those cracks as well. And a lot of people could not get it. However, this is a program that a lot of people really appreciated and it really helped to improve the quality of life for people who did not know what their status was in the country moving forward. So that's where we got to that. It was never supposed to be a permanent fix. It was supposed to be something to get us through until we had people who knew how to read and think critically in Congress and Senate and then pass actual reform. Obama's no longer in the White House. Now we have a president who promised to do something about immigration within his first 100 days. That did not happen. We had a Senate and Congress who said that Barack Obama was stopping them from passing significant <laughs> immigration legislation. And he's not he's no longer in the White House, but they have not done a single thing. And here we are now with a six-month timeline to get something done. Do you think it's possible, Selena? Um, it, it's really hard to say. Um, what will actually get done in the six month uh, timeline and what's actually going to happen. I mean, just looking back at how Congress has been acting, I really don't have any faith. Um, and but but, you know, like like someone like me, like I am like a citizen. Right. And I empathize and I'm an ally with this movement uh, extremely. But like Marcella, you mentioned that you were undocumented for years of your life. I, you know, if you can just touch upon how uh, detrimental this is and what you see happening over this next six months. I mean, I think one thing that's a little worrisome about this particular administration is that we really often don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. The predictability chart is just like we don't know. And then when it comes to Congress, given past history, given what we've seen, you know, you'd have to be incredibly optimistic to think they'll get it together within the next six months. Um, and so I sit here as someone who was once undocumented and Latina, but also light skinned. And I think one thing that we have to make sure we integrate into this discourse is black undocumented people are even more vulnerable in that we know they're deported. I think it's like uh, they have the highest yeah. rate of deportation, yeah, yet they make likely. yet they make up the smaller, I think, a uh, smaller percentage of people who are actually undocumented. So, it, you know, it, it, I think really thinking about the intersectionality of our movements right now is critical. When we think about immigration, we have to think about environmental justice. When we think about immigration, we have to think about Black Lives Matter. So I think one thing that I can attest to is that dreamers have been the unsung heroes of our time. And when we think about them putting their bodies on the line, when they're out there blocking streets, protesting, they're literally risking being deported. And I don't think, you know, as is now having citizenship, my allyship, our allyship is crucial. If we're not there, just like we demand that allies be there for all of our other movements, um, we will look back on history and think, what did we do? Yeah, I think that's such a great point that you bring up. I, I The first um, action that I ever went to a few years back um, in advocating for the DREAM Act passage in New York State, um, I saw a number of undocumented advocates sit down in the middle of Third Avenue and take over the street and all 
subject themselves to arrest, and I believe they all were arrested. And I, it really was a critical moment in my life and in my advocacy of viewing advocates who, I, I don't know that I've ever put myself at such great risk for something. And so when I think about as an ally, what my role is, it's to show up because I, the r- risk that other advocates are putting themselves in are is like nothing I've ever experienced. And so the least I can do is speak up and show up and support this movement. Thank you, Jackie, for that. We are going on a quick break. When we come back, more on this conversation, and we have a special caller coming in right now. Last week I was gone, but this week I bounced back. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill, Jackie Cohen, and of course our good friend Marcela Barrientos or Marcia Lago, if you're nasty, the petty (laughs) goddess. And we are talking about Donald Trump and the white Republicans rage towards undocumented people, including their push to get rid of DACA deferred action. If you want to know the full name and I only give you part of it because I forgot the other half because I'm a bad person. Anyways, guys, um, we do have a very special guest on the line now. And yes. Go ahead, Selena. Yes, we do. So we're very excited to invite Angie Kim on the show. She is a 34 year old deferred action for childhood arrivals recipient. She came to the U.S. from South Korea when she was nine years old and she has been one of the leading activists on this issue around DACA and even uh, when it comes to dreamers since she is she is one herself um Angie thank you so much for calling into the show today hi everyone good morning hi, thank Angie. you for having me <laughs> absolutely so um you know I just I, I know we only have you for a few minutes but mm-hmm. I wanted to just ask you like were you in any way surprised when Jeff Sessions made that announcement that DACA was being rescinded I mean it kind of felt like a knife in my heart like my stomach sunk but how mm-hmm. did you feel at that moment at this time Right. Um, I, I think uh, there were, I would say there were two probably separate uh, sort of reaction. Um, when we think about a um, couple of the folks who uh, are involved in the movement at a very different level. So, you know, when you're an organizer, um, you know, you sort of live and breathe, you know, uh, the issue uh, that obviously you're advocating for. And so there were a large group of people um, sort of more on the inside um, of the movement who were very well aware of the fact that um, that DACA, you know, that, that could be rescinded um, and that there was a very good likelihood of it. Um, I know I could imagine that there are folks uh, maybe more on the outskirts um who don't particularly have a, a, an access or a connection uh, to get, you know, immediate responses in news that perhaps thought, uh, you know, um, less uh, less of it. But, you know, I know there are people who had been sort of preparing um, uh, for the program to end. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, when it actually happened, um, we didn't know two things. We didn't know when it will happen. Um, and what were the, the content of the termination? Um, you know, but Jeff Session making the announcement was definitely a surprise. <laughs> so I think it was devastating nonetheless. Thank, thank you so much for that, Angie. And so as a, as a DACA recipient, can you tell us a bit about your story and how, um, you know, how 
you know, how you ended up becoming one of the one of the eight hundred thousand people who benefited from the program? Uh, absolutely. So I have um, a bit of an interesting immigration story. Um, so long story short, in a nutshell, uh, I came to the states at the age of nine with my family. Uh, my father had uh, some family here. My grandparents were U.S. citizens at the, at the time. Um, so we actually had uh, tried to, uh, my parents had tried to adjust our status. Uh, it took a while. Uh, we went through a couple complications, like unscrupulous lawyers. Um, by the time we actually had a, a real sort of process going, um, I think I was in my teens, um, my grandmother unfortunately passed away two weeks before the final stages of uh, the adjustment, which is like an interview with an immigration officer. Wow. So that's really when it, when I was sort of put in a what we call a permanent sort of backlog. Uh, my father uh, remarried um, a couple years later, and he was able to adjust his status uh, through his marriage. And my younger brother who's two years younger than I am, uh, was able to benefit from that marriage. Um, I, however, I was 21 at the time, which means you age out. You no longer could benefit from your parents' uh, you know, application to adjust. Um, so I was 29 by the time uh, the first DACA approval, <clears throat> um, uh, you know, when DACA was announced and I was able to um, get my first approval, so, you know, I kind of come from that generation where, uh, you know, we didn't have DACA and we didn't really even use words like undocumented. People were referenced either like as illegal. Um, mm-hmm. So I really kind of, you know, I've, I've had some time to, you know, uh, uh, share that struggle as an undocumented immigrant without having any pathway or, or relief. Um, you know, I couldn't work in my 20s. Um, you know, legally I was in the shadows. Um, and it's a very, it's a very, very tough and scary place to, to live in when you're in the shadows. Angie, I want to jump in for a second talking about living in the shadows. So once you were able to get DACA, how did that change your life? You know, for someone like me at 29, uh, you know, not being able to, you know, work, um, confidently, safely, uh, it meant everything. Uh, it's it, it was something as close as I can get to being, you know, uh, having a legal status, uh, and so it, it just meant everything to me. And just that, you know, it's it's so funny because you take things, little things, for granted when you have them, but when you don't, you realize what they mean. And just having the ability to work, having a driver's license, having a social security number or card, it's. It's tremendous when you don't have. So I felt, you know, I really felt relieved, which is what it was meant for. Um, so it was tremendous for me. And now, I mean, thank you so much for walking us through this this process, which is your real life. Now, what is the hardest part about this new reality created under the Trump administration? I mean, like, especially you and like we've been fighting so hard for to get this little bit of change. Like it could have and should have went further, but it was definitely a step in the right direction. And now we're taking so many steps back. And this is such a hard reality to grapple with. How do you feel about it? It's, you know, it's still some, I have these moments where it's so still surreal and it's so appalling. I mean, you know, I just last night I was talking to, even when I talked to allies, you know, um, you know, folks from, uh, different organizing movements, um, 
you know, they're appalled, uh, even as even as an ally who and people who are citizens and documented, they think to do this is is so inhumane and cruel. And it's it's just that what it would mean is you have eight hundred thousand young adults uh, who came out of the shadows, who are you know assimilated into the society, who have jobs. Um, you know, it's just like over eighty percent of DACA recipients have graduated high school and and gotten education. Ninety five percent are currently uh, working. Um, you know, and a lot of them have bought houses, bought cars. They they're essentially it's your life. You know, being in a limbo, and um, and you know, as someone who know what that's like, this is going to impact them tremendously. Angie, I'm so glad that you listed those statistics on how um, undocumented people or document recipients have been contributing to the larger part of our society in so many different ways. Uh, moving forward, what can and should we be doing to uh, just protect uh, undocumented people or DACA recipients in our communities? Um, yeah, so uh, I would. There are about three d- different things uh, that I sort of can think about off the top of my head. Number one is that uh, there is a legislative effort, uh, and and there are several different bills that were introduced in, in an attempt to protect the uh, young adults. Um, in case uh, DACA is re- uh, rescinded, um, so. Uh, you know, right now we need to pass those uh, that the legislative bill. Um, so, as you know, um, you know, sort of Trump administration and Jeff Sessions and, and a lot of their supporters, you know, are saying that it is the the job of the Congress to now pass a permanent solution, uh, and, and um, that's what we need. Um, so, we need our allies. We need every single person to call your congressman, right? Call your congresswoman, call your senator, ask them to support and sign on to the DREAM Act bill um, and demand that we want a clean bill. What that means is we want a bill. uh, We don't want to negotiate our lives. We don't want to, um, you know, um, pass a legislative solution, but in exchange, uh, you know, give them a pathway to put up a border wall to enforce interior law enforcement. Uh, we want to, we don't want to negotiate. We want them to do the right thing to protect the immigrants. That's number one. Number two, right now there are about 200,000 uh, deferred action application and recipients who are eligible to renew their um, status uh, before the deadline was was given, which is the October 5th. So we want to make sure that we get all hands on deck, you know, lawyers, educators. Uh, we need folks to uh, to perhaps, uh, you know, fund the renewable um, uh, funding uh, that costs for the application. It costs about $495 to, to uh, renew your employment authorization permit. Um, so we want to make sure every single person who is eligible renews their application uh, and, and feels safe. Third is right now, I would say uh, we need a lot of, uh, you know, outlet and mental support for, you know, those, uh, you know, 
800,000 people who will essentially lose their status and be affected by this change of policy. Um, you know, I'm asking a lot of the men- mental health allies and professionals to kind of come out and support uh, and um, for, you know, for the DACA recipients so that, you know, it, at the end of the day, um, it, this is a very traumatic experience for a lot of folks, and I want to make sure that the help is there. Angie, thank you so much for calling in, and thank you so much for this information and sharing your story. Is there anything, one, anything um, you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, I do. I want to take this opportunity to share, uh, you know, just words of hope. Um, you know, I've, I obviously I have a lot of allies and friends who are directly impacted, and I know this is a very, very devastating time. But, you know, like we always, like we hear, this shall to pass, and we're going to win, and we're going to fight, and we're going to be out on the streets every day if we have to. And that's the promise that I made to my community. So um, I don't want anyone to lose hope. Um you know, and uh, we're going to be, we're going to stick together because that's what we do. Angie, you are awesome. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, so once again, guys, um, sorry, go ahead, Selena. Oh, no, no, no. You can continue. Oh, so, so once again, guys, I was Angie. She was telling us about her story, um, um, how DACA has changed her life. And she mentioned a couple of things that I want to, I want to get to really quickly and then reopen the conversation up for the, to the um, panel over here. She mentioned that there are a couple of bills on the table that um, Congress and Senate could work on right now. There are three in particular that I want to tell you guys about. One is the Bridge Act, and it's the most conservative proposal on the table. It's basically a congressional equivalent of DACA. It would allow the people who met the requirements of DACA to be protected from deportation and work legally in the U.S. for the next three years. So that's the Bridge Act. Then you have the RAC Act, Recognizing American Children Act, which is a proposal forwarded by most Republicans, and it would allow people to arrive in the U.S. before age 16, excuse me, allow people who arrived in the U.S. before age 16 and have been here for at least five years and meet educational and criminal requirements similar to the ones of DACA to apply for conditional permanent residency, which they could then, after five years, apply to turn into standard green cards and become citizens. But the bill allows government to kick people out of their legal status if they don't stay in school or stay employed. So we can see how that could become grossly problematic. Stay employed? What if they exactly. lose their job? Yeah, it's yes. a problematic bill. It's very, it's, we know who wrote that one. <laughs> and then we have the DREAM Act, which is the one that I currently favor. And in its current incarnation, as opposed to the 17,000 different versions that have passed before, it would legalize DREAMers in the same way the, the RAC Act would, by allowing them to become conditional permanent residents and then removing the conditions after a certain requirements are met. It's more generous than the RAC Act because it allows anyone to qualify who's been in the U.S. since the age of 18 and has lived here for four years and allows people to, who have temporary protected status to apply as well. So those are the three bills that are disabled, Jackie. There's also a number of lawsuits being mm-hmm. launched against the federal government, including the New York State Attorney General um, and a number of attorneys general across the country um, from a number of different states. I mean, something that Selena brought up earlier um, at the beginning of the segment was that, you know, Trump, by the same um in the same way, right, through executive order, tried to enact um, a very problematic Muslim ban. And that was immediately challenged by courts. Um, the DACA has never been proven to be unconstitutional, right? It's been in place for years and no court has ever found it to be unconstitutional. Um, so I think that's something 
worthy of note that while, you know, Trump has by the same mechanism tried to put in place extremely exclusionary, discriminatory immigration practice, Obama really did the opposite and no court has ever found it to be unconstitutional. So I look forward to seeing how this plays out in court as well. Um, I have a question because, you know, we just listed out the bills and the things that we can and should be supporting, uh, particularly the DREAM Act. But like Marcella, what do you say to politicians, especially those on the left who are like, let's push the DREAM Act, but we may have to compromise building a wall? There's no building a wall in my book. (laughs) I think that, you know, a lot of different elements have have brought us to this place. And I think that the U.S. has benefited a great deal from their immigration policy and their foreign policy. So I think if we really want candidates and politicians who believe in humanity and who are going to stand up for us, there's, there's no negotiating. We don't play with lives. And I think one of the things that Angie also mentioned was about the economic contribution that undocumented immigrants make and, and, and DACA recipients as well. You know, this is going to have an economic impact on the U.S., on local economies. Undocumented immigrants are contributing about, between state and local taxes, $11.64 billion. There's money that goes into social security accounts that is unclaimed. So, you know, I think that we have to think long term and we have to hold our elected officials accountable. And more importantly, we have to start running on the platforms that we know are important, keeping the U.S. Well, not keeping it, but I think really shifting our culture in terms of how we view um, immigration, how we view Americanism. What's this whitewashing? And I think another thing that I have a small problem with is this idea that in order to receive these, um, let's say DACA, we can't single out people who have criminal records. You know, that, 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 no, 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 no. We know our criminal system is unjust in, in many ways. So we have to have those conversations too. What about the undocumented immigrants who maybe have some minor or, or whatever the case may be records? Um, we should be advocating for them as well. We can't kind of create this superhuman uh, uh, American uh, identity just because we can. So I think, you know, holding uh, elected officials accountable and reminding them that we will go and vote. We will go sit in their offices. We will jam up their phone lines. Yeah. We will do everything it takes to make sure that our neighbors are are taken care of. Right. I, I'm really happy you brought up that point. Like, let's not pretend that our criminal justice system works and certainly favors or is uh, is just for people of color in this country, particularly for undocumented immigrants. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, like this idea of, well, this is going to be the bill. Like it, it's imperative that this bill, this DACA bill, uh, be a clean bill is not one that's tied to a wall. We know that the majority of Americans support DACA. So that alone should be reason enough for a clean bill. There's no reason to tie one to the other. We know that I think it was the last polling that I saw was 58% of Americans support DACA. So just pass the bill as is. We know that Americans support it. Mm -hmm. All right. So guys, we do have another call on the line. I'm going to let him make his comment and I'm going to wrap it up. So Randy, let your voice be heard. Yeah, let me see if I can wrap it up like this here. Um, you know, uh, I heard one of your, uh, somebody on your panel mentioned about there's a, so many blacks and other uh, Caribbean, you know, so-called immigrants. You know, but, you know, you're right about that. But that's been going on for the longest. Since the 80s, Jamaicans have been deport, being deported. And I don't know any more hardworking people 
then Caribbeans and Jamaicans. You know, and it's funny how when Hispanics is getting deported, now we get the outcry, but there was no outcry then when they when Jamaicans was getting deported wholesale. Like this. And then you had somebody else mention about the uh, the protection of, of those when they go back. I don't see how you're not concerned about them being protected. I'm being protected. I'm, I'm interested in being protected two ways. If they don't go back, the backlash is going to be the white. <clears throat> I mean, you know where you know what's going to happen when you know they want these people out because they think they they ready to take over this country. They see things further than some some you know some of these here people that's not paying attention. They want they're going to take it to the next second and third level. This is why I'm talking about protection of the people. I'm, it's not that, you know, I'm saying it's a foregone conclusion, blah, blah, blah. I'm just interested in the protection area, and I don't even hear you mentioning about the protection of them. You, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's all your way or it's no way. Randy, thank you for letting your voice be heard. We're going to wrap it up. Um, I guess I was just high my response to his um, question. In the um, my closing statement, so th the point that I want I really want to be very clear about is that like if the gov if the government and and by government I do mean Donald Trump, Jeff Sessions, and uh, most of the Republicans in House and Senate feel that these people do not deserve to be in this country, there will be no conversation about protection because they will not put that conversation on the table. Right now, they are trying to get rid of a group of people who, if you want to just be like very like just just very like calculated and cold about this are the best crop of people you could ever make an argument for to get their citizenship. If, if we're just going to like, just talk about it in just like very neutral non-human terms, these people nine out of 10 times do not have criminal records. 96% of them have jobs. More than 40% of them have some kind of degree, whether it's high school diploma or college diploma, they're all giving into the economy and they want to get them out. So if, they, if Donald Trump and the Republican party are so, excited to kick these people out of the country, even though they have this status, there's not going to be a conversation around protection, which is why we have to make sure that they do not get a chance to kick these people out of the country. And also we fight for other people who may not have the quote unquote respectable records that white America seems to be so desperate to portray around America. Moving forward, African-Americans and black immigrants have been disproportionately impacted when it comes to deportations. They are five times more likely to be deported. They are five times more likely to be arrested and held up in ICE prisons. They are five times more likely to get a guilty verdict in deportation prisons once they have been held as opposed to white immigrants coming from, say, Iceland or Canada or Russia or some other part of Eastern Europe. They are in danger. But the fact of the matter is, is if we only talk about one group we will fail we have to stand up for all i have to dreamers. interrupt this because i think what we've also let the right do is co-opt our narrative it's not that we don't want to talk about every single immigrant in this country we do but the right has done something when it comes to the media they have criminalized us they had i mean according to the trump administration every immigrant is mexican and as a hondureña you know what no there's there's a multitude and even within these countries we have hybridity. We have Afro-Hondurans, we have Afro-Colombians. And so I think to think about the Caribbean, to think about uh, our, our brothers and sisters that are coming from Africa, and, and to also think about the privilege behind the immigration system if you have money. Because there are plenty of people that can afford to navigate this. So I think, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that the idea here is to make sure that we're telling the stories in a cohesive way and to make sure that we're amplifying our message, that we are in this together, and not to let their message win. Because the minute we start 
allowing it to come into the room and respecting it and actually even engaging with it, we've lost. Yeah, you said it. All right, guys, Marcella <laughs> just dropped the mic. We are going on a quick break, and when we come back, it is News Roundup and how Equifax probably gave away all your information and will give you one year of credit support for it. I used to read Word Almost. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHC, all the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, Marcella punched me in the ear and finished her closing. I made it much better than the one I was giving, so we yes. think we are okay with this. But besides Marcella being in here as a special guest, we also have Selena Hill and Jackie Cohen, and we just finished a conversation about Donald Trump and his attack on the 800,000 Dreamers currently under deferred action. Now we're at the News Roundup where we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week, things that made us laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or sometimes just put our heads in a pillow. And <laughs> I want to get started with Equifax, who we found out earlier this week that six months ago, not yesterday, six months ago, they found out that millions of emails and personal information from all of people around the country and some abroad had their information leaked to a hacker or to someone. So that means your no, your name, your number, your address, your social security number, your email account, your credit cards, all of those things have been compromised. They knew about it for six months, and they're just telling us. And you know how they want to apologize for it? You get it for one free year of identity <laughs> theft coverage. Cool, cool, yes. cool, cool. That's what you get. Oh, and they F got them. Something, I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, three people, including the CEO, sold their stocks months ago yeah before <laughs> this story broke which yep. is like that should be illegal that is illegal that's right. insider trading <laughs> that is insider that trading is like yeah that's what yeah martha right stewart that's what martha stewart went to jail for right yes holy crap they better go to jail this, this day because like you know that. at least one of us in this room is on that list of well, it's 143 well, million people i'm not too worried my credit score is like so shaky well, yeah it's like <laughs> jokes on jokes on whoever tries to rip me off because yeah. i have no money but yeah. there but like this is this is a huge issue and something that you know like i uh, i don't know it makes me really worried it, it's worrisome that you can't immediately fi find out like if you were one of the people whose yeah. identity they was. won't tell you they won't tell you i it, it reminds me of the episode of the office when michael scott fired that guy and then tried to give him like a two for ten discount at Arby's as a yes, consolation right. prize. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer that than their like year long, <laughs> like right? I You know, it's and like then a, after a year they don't tell you me. that you have to pay for it, so just opt into it right away. So now you're paying for something. And it's not even like you know, you your identity was put at risk if you have a credit card, which you have to have if you want to be able to buy anything, yeah. you know, like a car or have. You know, or rent an apartment or mm -hmm. whatever. Like, you have to have a credit score in this country. And so you're forced into this position where you're giving these companies your information because you can't live a life if you don't. And then, you know, you're screwed for it. Yeah. So it's really, it's really scary. No. So, so yeah. Yeah, like, it, de it definitely <laughs> is scary. Selena has like a 970 credit score. You better be scared, girl. <laughs> they about to get everything with your check in. How did you know? Because you don't spend no money. <laughs> because everybody knows now, Selena. <laughs> yeah, <right>? no, basically, <laughs> because we everybody know knows. Yeah. No, She's like, I was going to buy my fourth house. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, Marcella, did you want to chime in? No. I mean, <laughs> like, I What's don't, your credit score, I, beloved? I have, I know, I have right? an amazing uh, co worker named Sonia Reynolds who's. Oh, by the way, shout out to Baby Cole, my nephew, who's. 
birthday it is today. Um, but anyway, no, she's she's our digital everything and data, whatever. And she's just put in like the fear of God in me in yeah, terms I mean. of how much information we're putting online um, and and that people I, can I have last pass to. on everything now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my boyfriend, who's a computer engineer, it has instilled the same fear <laughs> in me. Like you know, two step verification on all your emails and all your passwords, and you know, make sure you're not because like I never like I my my password was never password. Like I've created like it's password one. <laughs> yeah, it's password one. <laughs> but like I've definitely it's something I've taken for granted, cyber security, right? And something that I definitely am paying more attention to. Certainly in 2017, the hi, year ben. of like yeah, hi Ben. Thanks for well, helping me set up my password. Speaking of cybersecurity, did I ever tell you guys about the, t- the multiple times Selena has either tell- said my password out loud to people <laughs> or told people that my door was unlocked in my apartment? Actually, that, every those were accidents. Every time you're not on the show, Selena reads out your social security number <laughs> and password and address. But they come out subconsciously. Like, it's, it's, oh, I'm sorry about that. Stan. I can say this password now because it's not my password anymore. But we were having a conversation with some friends and. Somebody said something. She goes, "Oh, so that's why your password is president." <laughs> and I was like, "Not anymore, Selena." <laughs> and then one time we were leaving my apartment, and like we were gonna run to the store and come back. She goes, "Wow, Selena, you never lock your door." <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy. well. Anyway, so apparently, but also ev- like lock your door. Like yeah, if you're going to the store, <laughs> yeah like, Stanley, come on. We should take precaution at every level, not just and online. You snitch. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. So guys, Fair just enough. just moving things right along. Um. We just got into uh, finished the conversation about Trump's uh, administration rescinding DACA. Apparently, um, Chicago. I didn't get a chance to mention this earlier, but uh, Chicago Mayor uh, Rahman Emanuel has Ooh. Rahm Emanuel has declared Chicago a Trump-free zone. That means they have blocked him. He he said they blocked him on Twitter. What, no, no, they, they blocked Trump from entering into the city of Chicago. Has he not met their police? And and basically he said that yeah. all the DACA recipients and undocumented immigrants are more than welcome and going to be protected in Chicago, but Trump is not. What? what? Why would anyone That's want to live hilarious. in Chicago while Rahm Emanuel is mayor and he has police shooting black people yeah. and hiding the video? Rahm Emanuel should quit his job and run away and never be involved in politics again. Shut up, Rahm. Well. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about somebody who's relevant and not that trashy politician. All right, so moving things right along, I also wanted to announce that apparently Jay-Z and Kanye West are uh, ending their feud. Uh, They were actually... they, they've been feuding over a lot of things. Uh, one thing that I thought is really particular is uh, the million dollars. going. They're going back and forth over uh, more oh, than right. a million dollars over title. Mm-hmm. So, But that apparently is not the reason of their source for reconcili- uh, reconciliation. Uh, it seems like Kanye just wants to be Jay-Z's friend. Yeah, so apparently Kanye wants <laughs> to be Of course Kanye wants to be Jay-Z. I mean, first of all, everybody wants to be Jay-Z. So just, just a little information behind that. Kanye was pursuing Jay-Z in title for $3 million for money that he didn't get paid for um the last the, la- the last garbage album he made what was it called again Pablo Life of, yeah, Pablo, Life of Pablo and it was pretty good it wasn't anyways so Kanye West thought he was owed three million dollars Jay Z and Title said we gave you fifteen million dollars to do make a new album update it every single week and then you were gonna get the three additional million dollars for making music videos you never made music videos right so it's like a breach of contract yeah and you stopped updating it after the second week so that <laughs> that's why Title so Jay-Z he didn't did, fulfill his contract yeah. right. So Kanye, I just, I have no interest in Kanye or his sunken place family. I pray those children become radical Black Panthers. (laughs) 
His kids are really cute. Yeah, I mean, I don't know with Kim Kardashian defending a racist. Oh yeah, because he taught her how to do her eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how North and Saint. Yeah, we we can only pray that North and Saint come out somewhat sane. But uh, Kim apparently likes to defend racist people who use the N word and every other word, uh, discriminatory, uh, and just use uh, discriminatory language and, against different groups and of people. And not just use it. Like he he would go around like with his video camera and follow black women and harass them and call them the N word. Just to like clarify, so Kim Kardashian made a so if folks don't know which probably yeah. people listening do know but kim kardashian made um a makeup tutorial with her new makeup line that she released with what's the oh, i pa- forget the name patrick mediocre whiteness yeah with with a youtube star who is a makeup artist who has been known for saying really racial like really racist things and following around black people and using the n-word on camera which Stanley does. So, and then I after, not do that. No, no, no. You just brought up that <laughs> oh, that's like, <laughs> no, Stanley. Obviously do that. you don't do that. Um, that you just brought up. But then, um, when this came out after she made this makeup tutorial and people were like, why are you making this video with this person who did this thing? She was like, well, I'm going to defend him. And which I is really problematic. Camera, and I want people to forget that. Yeah. Like we all make <laughs> mistakes on camera. I think yeah. Richie. And look at how nice my eyebrows are because of him. She literally <laughs> said that. Oh. But speaking of makeup and makeup that we care about, oh, yes. Rihanna oh, rolled yes. out her own, <laughs> own makeup brand called Fenty and it has over like 50 different shades so I went to the website yesterday I love you so much Stanley I love that you know <laughs> all about this and that you know how many shades yeah, you are kind of weird no it's no it's freaking great there I love it there are two it. reasons why I know this one of them is super sexist I'm going to tell you guys anyway and you can feel free to yell at me oh and I was the, commending you for not the being sexist because of black twitter um, yeah, I don't want to hear your that's sexist all they were, That's all they were talking about, and it was also a topic of Black Twitter, the sexist thing. Oh, oh, and like mostly. Okay. So, well, anyways, like that's all they were talking about. So I went to the website to see if like Marilyn would like something. Yeah. And it was just so much shades. I was like, ah. <laughs> there were too many yeah, shades. Too much. So what? What? I didn't, go ahead, I didn't know what to do. I was like, too much makeup. Ugh. What is? So what but, were? A- so when Rihanna was talking about the makeup, she didn't have a bra on. So t- so her breasts were became the trending hashtag yesterday. Because every time she was talking about the makeup and why she wanted so much shade, everyone was like, I want to listen to Rihanna, but her breasts look so amazing on camera right now. So that's like that's the another reason I knew about it, because Rihanna's breast was literally like a top two hashtag yesterday. And I was <laughs> oh, like, nice. what is happening? Wow. Well, I will say we've all been commending <laughs> Rihanna because the makeup line yes, in particular cat- caters to women of color, which we know have been um, historically left out of uh, makeup lines and cos- uh, cosmetic lines. I mean, yeah. apparently the makeup industry has realized that, you know, women of color, number one, exist. Number two, wear makeup. And like some like me. I found it challenging to find uh, makeup that fits my shades. So I, I appreciate Rihanna. They have like multiple colors just for your shades. Right. And when I told Marilyn And you know it, that. And you yes. and I should consult with you to find my shades. Yeah. Because you know so much about <laughs> it you now. you have a panic attack, yes. I was talking to Marilyn about it yesterday. And she's like, babe, I'm yellow. And I was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> and I showed her website. She's like, oh my God, they have bajibajibava. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and she looked at me like I was crazy because I should know this. No, it's reason. exciting. I mean, like, it's when, you know, someone who wears makeup, it's exciting when you find like the right color the right shade or like the eyebrow pencil that like doesn't make you look like i don't know like it's exciting when you find something that makes you look really good and like the best version of yourself if you like to wear makeup it's fun yeah 
And I'm one of those people. So speaking of Rihanna and other celebrities, uh, Beyonce, Kevin Hart, Jennifer Gardner, uh, they've also all been coming out in droves to support uh, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, they've been doing a lot of different things because uh, to help Houston, the city of Houston, uh, a video of Rihanna went viral, I think maybe in the last 24, uh, excuse me, a video of Beyonce went mm. viral in the last 24 mm. to 48 hours. She just posted speaking at today. church. Yeah, on Instagram, uh, volunteering and you know helping deliver food and whatever else. And I'm sure she's she's donated a ton of money. Oh yeah, I seven million dollars. Seven million dollars. And also, can I tell you more about Petty? The uh, Marcellus Petty power spreading to little Blue Ivy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday, Beyonce was giving like was serving people, and Blue Ivy was standing next to Beyonce holding her nose. <laughs> oh. Oh my God, Stanley! I need to see that video. It was she looked so blown. Like, can we leave, Mom? Oh my God, it was too funny. I do hope those celebrities stop asking people to donate to the Red Cross. Yeah, oh, yes. uh, please don't give to the Red Cross in situations like this. So I want to push back a little bit. Before I do, I want to give some background. So while we're talking about the Red Cross, since we've been gone for two weeks, you guys should know that since we have about seventy-five hurricanes hitting two states yeah. in the next three minutes, yeah. a lot of people have been trying to find places to donate money to. Red Cross is one of them red cross as we know because we talked about this on the show um has like famously got half a billion dollars towards haiti relief efforts and built six houses mm-hmm. and yeah literally yes and then when they were criticized for this and asked and criticizing for other things the ceo could not tell um the reporters how much money from this these release funds would actually go to hurricane harvey red cross is very problematic however in some places red cross is all the people have right so I'm not always ready to like be like totally screw Red Cross because it's, it's not like New York City where we have a lot of things. If someone's in Wyoming, there's no Occupy Sandy. If Red Cross can get to them, then fine. In situations like this, though, with, with such huge natural disasters, they have openly said that they don't have the capacity to really do the field work that it requires. So I think when you can find local organizations, again, depending on the variety yeah. of or degree of disaster, it's wiser. Um, and also they've lacked financial transparency. And we'll, t- we'll talk about this in the next segment a bit, too. But, there, are, you know, Houston's a major city in the United States. They have plenty of local organizations that are on the ground doing the work that have, like, built the foundation already. And those are the ones that aren't getting the necessary funds. Um, and so we'll talk about it more in the next segment. But there's a list of great organizations that you can reach out to. Absolutely, guys. So on that note, we do have to take another break. But don't go anywhere because we'll be delving straight into uh, the devastation happening across the country and in the Caribbean because of Hurricane Ima. So stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard with a judgmental person, Selena Hill. And of course, we have Jackie Cohen. And of course, my favorite guest, Marcella Barrientos. Body and souls. Stanley, that's like <laughs> all right. borderline like... Nope. We're all carrying our own mountains, okay, Selena? All right, whatever. Um, <laughs> thank you for that, Stanley. <laughs> well, on August 25th, Texas was hit by the most powerful hurricane in more than 50 years. Now, Hurricane has killed about a million, damaged 200,000 homes, and caused to 180 
billion in destruction. Now, when this first happened, like your voice we heard was on a break, but many of us were very overwhelmed. Uh, we felt empathetic, uh, scared. Many were in disbelief. And many of us questioned how and why a storm of this magnitude could hit in the U.S. mainland. Now, the city of Houston eventually began to get back to normal nine days after the storm first hit, while Washington debated over how, who, how and who would pay for the disaster. Then, just days later, another major weather disaster hit the Caribbean and the U.S. Hurricane Chris? No. Her name is Irma. <laughs> <laughs> Irma is a record-breaking storm, the most powerful Atlantic hurricane in history, with sustained wind speeds of at least 185 miles per hour. Now, Irma hit the islands of the northeastern Caribbean on September 6th before roaring a path through Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Cuba. She is currently wrecking havoc in the Florida Keys. Why is this happening? Well, uh, average sea surface temperatures have been rising, which is a key reason to why both Harvey and Irma have become so strong so quickly. But as we come to terms with this second major hurricane within just a month, it is important that we also question the, uh, whether the devastation caused by these two hurricanes can convince Donald Trump and his administration that the reality of, clim of the reality of climate change. We've reached a point where scientific research and analysis cannot be denied. We simply cannot afford the human costs as we've witnessed the deaths of so many Americans and billions of dollars in damages to businesses and to homes in just the past few weeks. Hold on, guys. Sorry about that. And ironically, just days before Harvey uh, formed in the Atlantic, uh, Donald Trump signed an executive order to overturn a policy that was implemented under Barack Obama. And this policy was to help American communities and businesses become more resilient against the risk of flooding, which we know is rising also because of climate change. On top of that, in June, Donald Trump announced that the U.S. would withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Then he squashed the Clean Power Plan, which is a keystone environmental regulation. It's also ironic that the two states most affected by these massive storms happen to be governed by governors who are adamant climate change deniers. Another thing, though, that can't be denied is the amount of lives and the livelihoods of millions of America, Americans that are currently at risk, not only because of climate change, not only because of these recent storms and Hurricane Jose, which is on its way, but mostly because Donald Trump and his administration continue to deny facts, science and climate change. It makes it all the worst. Now, I want to open up this conversation to the panel. And of course, to you guys, if you're listening, you can call in at 212-650-6903. Politics aside, what was your initial reaction to the recent megastorms? So the first thing I thought was, I hope everyone is safe, except for George Zimmerman and Marge Galago, whatever you call that horrible place. The second thing was... There's another hurricane after that that's a Category 3 right now. And I was like, I'm scared for a lot of people, but I'm like, I'm wondering, are we going to get to a point now where the government is not going to want to pay for relief efforts? Because you're looking at 
Texas, then Florida, then Florida again, and then also the Gulf. The Gulf Coast states are going to get hit with a, um, a tropical storm as well in the next 10 days. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, it's making me really worry about a time where we're, we're just going like, to let, let people just figure it out for themselves. Anyone else reactions? Sorry, Politics I mean, aside, like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to muddy the water so. Soon. No, well, no, that, that's heavy. The waters are muddy. No, I, I, I remember. You know, I lived in New York City during Hurricane Sandy, and I remember how devastating that was to our city. And that storm, in comparison, I mean, that was a superstorm, Sandy. This is a Harvey was what a Category Five hurricane. I mean, yeah. it was a huge hurricane, and I remember how devastated New York City was. Um, and, you know, parts of the city went back to normal soon after, but many parts of New York City and Long Island really suffered and it took a long recovery. Um, and so to see a storm like this rip through a major city like Houston, I can only begin to imagine how difficult it is for the displaced families, um, for people who have worked so hard to build a life for themselves and, you know, own a house. And, you know, it's like all your things are gone. Right. And so I've heard a lot of interviews with people after the fact who have said, you know, I'm so grateful that my family is safe, that we were able to move out of Houston and get out in time. And that wasn't the case for everybody. But everything that I've ever worked for is gone. And so that kind of loss, I mean, it's un unbearable. And I, you know, I my heart goes out to everybody that went through that. Here's Marcella. <laughs> <laughs> you can wait. As <laughs> <laughs> I can wake me up. Um, you know, it's, it's such a loaded question because, of course, just as a human, my heart goes out to everything that's happening. But I think that, you know, the fossil fuel industry has really, really gotten a lot of wins. And I think the climate change and the impact that um, this industry is having on the planet is only going to lead to more what I would, what people are calling environmental racism. So when we talk about economic equality in our day-to-day -day lives, that's one thing. But when we talk about economic equality, inequality during dis natural disasters, we're really talking about diminishing the quality of lives for millions of people in the U.S. Um, and you know, I think as we, because it wasn't just uh, Houston, right? It was also Bangladesh saw yeah. tremendous yeah. amount of flooding and so on. So we're gonna, if we keep treating the planet in this way, and if we keep letting the fossil fuel industry win, and, and you know, if you really look at the people who've been appointed to the EPA, uh, this is scary. At some point, we're gonna have environmental refugees, and I think that's gonna apply to people who live in the United States as well. So yeah. what do we do to remedy this? And um, I think part of what we often think about, at least what the news will cover, is the immediate impact of the natural disaster, but where it's very, very dangerous, it's afterwards. Mold. Uh, the refineries that had no regulation in Texas have been leaking chemicals into rivers, have been leaking chemicals into natural bodies um, of water. So, you know, these are the things that we're going to be dealing with for years to come. And the question is, what do we have in place when we have an administration who is literally giving leeway to the fossil fuel industry to do whatever it is that they want? I'm going to be a killjoy again. We're looking at hundreds of thousands of people who will be homeless in, in Texas and then probably the same thing in Florida. And when you talk about the media stops paying attention after the, the general crisis, what's going to happen to those people? Because FEMA doesn't take care of homelessness. FEMA is not going to help these people get their new houses. And a hurricane insurance is not the best, for lack of better words. 
Right, and and Stanley, uh, just to add on to that, uh, speaking about people being homeless and displaced, uh, we can all remember Hurricane Katrina back in 2005, yeah. and many of those people who were displaced, they moved to Texas. Right. And now uh, we, we see what's happening there. Now, uh, we mentioned a little bit about Scott Pruitt and the Trump administration, but, you know, Scott Pruitt, he said, you know what, it's inappropriate and opportunistic to talk about climate change or to politicize this disaster in any way possible when we need to and should be focusing on helping the victims. What do you say to that, Jackie? I feel like the same argument was made after Sandy Hook and the NRA came out and they were like, you know, you shouldn't be politicizing. Like, you know, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And like, how dare you blame gun owners for this terrible tragedy and blah, blah, blah. Like at the end of the day, our gun policy in this country is completely out of whack and that's why we see violent crimes with guns um, you know more than any other nation like ours right and it's I think the same thing with this kind of you know like when else are we going to politicize it right millions of people were affected lives were lost millions of people were displaced many lost their homes we need to talk about this we need to talk about the effects um, of climate change and the devastation that it causes it's not just like this like thinky topic that we're just discussing and theorizing about, it has real implications that we're going to start to see more and more of. And unless we start to act on, you know, curbing carbon emissions and checking regulations on uh, fossil fuel industry, we're not going to see any change. We're only going to see things worse. And to say, you know, don't politicize this tragedy. I mean, it's going to happen more and more. So, you know, if that's your argument, we're never going to be able to have a discussion about it because like we're seeing now, we had a huge devastating hurricane with another just two weeks later. So when is the right time? I think the right time is now. So Marcella, is it insensitive for us to be talking about climate change when uh, I guess a lot of these people from in the a conservative in a, in a political way? way and, you know, a lot of these victims maybe are conservatives, probably. These are conservatives. These are red states. Um, you know, they don't believe in it anyway. Are we making things worse? You know, I'm as Stanley said earlier, I'm petty <laughs> and political. So, Yay. you know, I think it's kind of it's one of those things where it's like we have to talk about it. I think the fact that we have, again, chemical lobbyists are in the EPA now overseeing chemical regulation use in the United States. What does that tell you? I think if we're not talking about it, we are silencing ourselves in ways that are going to be so dangerous, not just to this country, but to the planet. And I think that's what's scary and what we don't really want to talk about is the magnitude of the impact that this is going to have, not just in this nation, but all over the world. And when we're talking about a globalized economy, guess what? We're going to be impacted there as well. So I think, you know, whatever... Really? Are they that religious? <laughs> no, but they love money that much, right? Well, yeah, that they're yeah, willing yeah. to forego regulations. And it's not about being insensitive to um, the victims, right? Right. No. It's, I think, about having a healthy dialogue. And again, the fact that there's a, a need or a desire to silence facts, to si- silence science, uh, should tell us something about what the agenda could be if we don't speak up. It's not about it's not about like ignoring or disrespecting victims. It's about being smart. And I don't know. Maybe if you're a white mediocre man from the Republican Party or someone who believes that climate change is not a real thing, you're unable to walk and chew gum at the same time. But we can take care of our victims, which Republicans barely want to do, and the super rich definitely are not interested in doing, and still talk about climate change. And it's important to do so because when you're talking about climate change and politicizing it, you are demanding that the EPA become responsible and do what they have to do. So now, when these homes drain. 
and we're going in there to make sure that they're whether they're condemned or not we know that this mold over here could be bad towards somebody's health and there's a process created to make sure we get rid of that and mitigate that so people are not suffocating in their own homes mm -hmm. so that we know that when you have these nuclear plants five in florida right now that will be hit by hurricane irma we know that like in the future we have to find a way to a get those nuclear plants out of there or b deal with the contaminated water that's mm -hmm. going to be contaminated within the next uh 24 hours or so and you can only do that if you're talking about climate change if you're funding the epa and if you're holding yourselves and your elected officials accountable yeah. so these people who are saying there are people who a don't want to be held accountable b care more about making money and c do not give a damn about the same people they say we're ignoring when we talk about this absolutely guys if you want to uh, chime into the conversation again the number is 212-650-6903 you can also tweet us at be heard underscore radio i mean i'm so glad that you guys like just really explained the the irony and the hypocrisy in trying to separate this issue like they're mutually exclusive uh, we have to talk about the causes so that we can talk about a uh, preventative action moving forward so that uh, we don't continue to see this uh moving forward and i think like just some of the, the policies and the things that uh, donald trump overturned like I, I mentioned one of the policies was um that act that uh, I forget the name of it, but President Obama he enforced mm -hmm. it. Clean power plan? No, 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 not that one. But it was basically an act. Clean water act? No, no, no. it wasn't that one either. That's, I can get the name on the break for disaster. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. And I can get the exact name of it when we when we go on break. But it, it was to put into place to protect uh, people, uh, businesses, and homes that were in flooding institutes. And apparently, Donald Trump said in response, "This is blocking infrastructure, <laughs> and people cannot uh, build because basically, like one of the requirements were if you." lived uh in if the, if this if you wanted to build in an area that uh usually gets flooded you have to build like that building or that structure like two feet above ground or you know certain regulations that were just common sense and he was like oh that's going to cost so much more money so and this is going to block infrastructure and we need to focus on jobs and like yeah. that was literally the messaging uh, when he overturned this policy a few weeks ago yeah and it's and it's so it's so dumb because it's not even like fiscally conservative because the thing is if we continue to build these infrastructures in places that are, are liable to be flooded because of the rising sea levels what's going to happen is it costs taxpayers even more mm -hmm. money to build so this is the type of common sense legislation that is not being passed and is actually being undone under our current administration and there's always been this sort of sentiment sediment in this country of like go west and you know seek your fortune and you deserve it and you know <laughs> damn the regulations and the costs right like drill baby drill and we're seeing it now more than ever I think that you know we're lucky to have such amazing advocates talking about the the issues that um, you know go are along with unregulated industry right but it makes no sense like you said like it doesn't make sense to build new infrastructure like new homes and flood zones or on an active fault line in california right it doesn't make sense to um you know actively knowingly destroy the environment and then say you know natural disaster that w could have been prevented or at least subdued that you know this is not the right time to talk about it and you know it's it's for a quick buck right yeah. like that's what kills me about this argument when it comes to climate change is like not 
not only are we seeing the effects now, but how much worse will they be in the future? And people who are making a tremendous amount of money now don't care about what happens in the future, right? Because they'll be dead. Who cares? We'll all be dead. Um, but, you know, like at least they'll have had the opportunity to make as much money as possible now. Right. Well, I found the name of it. So in 2015, that policy that I was referring to was passed under President Obama. It's the Federal Flood Risk Mitigation Standard, which required that projects funded by federal dollars had to implement stricter measures to prevent mm. water damage, flooding, etc. Well, and one of the things that when I was with my last job, I was able to work with the International Chemical Workers Union. And they had this entire program about getting out into specific communities, particular communities of color, to train people on how to respond to disasters. Because one of the things that we lack is education on what if, what do we do, what's the plan in massive cities. I mean, the everyday person, I would say, often would not know what to do. Yeah. And so the the preparedness for these things that are going to continue happening if we don't, I mean, we've done a certain degree of damage that's unavoidable at this point, right? Um, scientists have kind of said we're at a place where this is going to happen, so we need to plan for it. Let's not make it any worse. But um, the everyday person, and, and just to link it to the previous conversation that we were having, undocumented immigrants who are fearful of going to some of the... Um, I don't know, the centers or what's it called? The like relief relief <laughs> centers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they're afraid they're going to be asked for documentation and so on. You know, environment. Well, I would say climate change creates even a more vulnerable situation for the already vulnerable, and that's the piece that I think getting out of Washington, just the everyday, what are we going to do to make sure that we are okay? Um, piece. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that, Marcella. We do have to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere. We will continue to talk about the devastation being caused by Hurricane Irma and what our government needs to do. Stay tuned. Stilly, get it together. Hurricane You're embarrassing Irma, us. You can't scan me if you wanted to. I'm in New York. You're in Florida. You can't touch let's me, not, boo-boo. Let's not test na- Mother Nature. Yeah, right. <laughs> this really? is not the week. Sandy was not <laughs> that long ago. You're antagonizing. Yeah. Let's not poke Mother the bear. Okay, pop I'm just the saying it's like, biblical right now, and I would not be, you know, yeah, think, think about this, guys. Like, we, it, it really is biblical. We've had, like, so, like, this. Seven hurricanes, like ten hurricanes, <laughs> coming on right now. Three, ha- two have already happened. We had an 8.0 earthquake yep. in Mexico, and then they were on tsunami, the tsunami watch, watch in Mexico, Costa Rica. Sorry, go ahead. Steve no, up. continue. Like Ecuador and all these places. So either this is climate change, or I should start. I should get baptized again. Well, and also I wanted to mention the wildfire, wildfires <laughs> in California. Too, but think. Stanley, who is no longer a believer, I am. <laughs> but Stanley used to I be. Love you, Lord. <laughs> but it's so funny. Stanley put up a Facebook status saying that he may go. This Stanley was like, I gotta find my religion. He might go back to church. I was joking. And like, no, he, no, I, people were literally coming on your like timeline. People were tagging me this like Jesus videos. Like it's not too late, Stanley. <laughs> I have to. Like I'm like, listen, guys. We thought wanna, you were serious. If you want to convert to Judaism, I know a guy. It's we so can, much work can. though, like for men to convert to Judaism. For Don't you gotta go like a class? It's the same amount of work. No, it's for everybody to convert to Judaism. Yeah, you gotta go to class. <sighs> you think they just let you in? Yeah, and then you're Christianity. You just walk to church. <laughs> like literally, just get let in <laughs> as, as a Christian. We make you, we make you work for it, but I think you should consider it. I'm not know. trying to pick one. I'm just doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, make sure you get it right. I bought like three evil eye necklaces yeah. yesterday. I was I like, this week, the full moon. No. Right. Right. Somebody. Text me if they can save on my place during Hurricane Irma. I said Irma. Like, Irma, sorry. <laughs> Irma. We told you I you were saying it wrong. You're right. I was saying it during Hurricane Irma. I sent them a picture of Joel Olstein. 
Stanley. Oh. Anyway, so uh, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host Stanley Fritz and Jackie Cohen. Alyssa Fuchs is not here, but we have our very special guest filling in, Marcella Braciones. <laughs> oh, wait. No. No. Sarrientos. Sarrientos. We're going to talk about Berrientos. it. What did I say? Be- what did you say? <laughs> it was something about Bastiones. Basti- like passions, Selena. but with a B. Bastiones. We have passions said her name like Ooh. five times. Silly. Okay, but and we've been hearing Hurricane Irma repeated five million times, and you got that wrong. You got it so wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Listen, we're all riding our own horses. Okay. All right. I like I mean, the this mountain This week is tough on all of us. We'll give you a... <laughs> we all get a pass. No, but like Bastiem. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize, Marcelo. At least I didn't start like singing a Mexican tune, which is like I, well, I you you started singing a little bit when so you, you said her so name. You Car- you, so you think that Cardi B is Mexican? Because I was singing that song when we came. No, out. she's earlier. referencing an earlier moment. Yes, oh, we all like, know it. That's also not a Mexican song. <laughs> oh, okay, so that, that's true. <laughs> Whatever. So uh, problematic hill. <laughs> You're you're pretty problematic yourself, Danny. <laughs> but speaking of problems, uh, just to get back to the topic at hand, we're having a huge problem. Hurricane Irma is currently and in pronouncing my last name. <laughs> yes, Barrientos. Barrientos. I'll get it. I'll get it right, guys. Uh, so Hurricane Irma is currently in the Florida Keys as we speak. If you're listening to our live show, uh, wrecking har- havoc on in Florida. And uh, uh, apparently, some people think that the, the government shouldn't have a role, right? <laughs> Until these big disasters happen, right? It was Ronald Reagan who said, and I quote, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. He was absolutely wrong. He could not be as wrong because it's things like the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, and other different national and federally funded uh, agencies that protect uh, different, uh, that protect Americans when different disasters disasters like this happen and also take different preventative measures. However, Donald Trump's been trying to cut these. Um, before we uh, get into that, hold on, let me let me just uh, tell you guys what he's actually been trying to cut. <laughs> he's actually been trying to cut uh, FEMA, the National uh, Oceanic and Asmopheric Administration. <laughs> you can do it. The Department of Housing and Urban Development, which helps rebuild these communities. Oh, uh, which... Ben Carson currently runs. Exactly. Cool, cool, cool. Great. Exactly. And he's also planning to cut federal insurance coverage for homes that were prone to flood. So, again, guys, we are in the midst of horrible biblical disasters. And our government, hey, however you want to reference it, I use both. Um, (laughs) So... These disasters, and we have a government who, not at this very, very moment, he's not pushing these cuts right now, but he was a few weeks ago. So, something that I'm sort of interested to see, right now, you know, we're, we're like, it's happening. Hurricane Irma is touching down. We're going to see, I am sure, major devastation in Florida. Um, you know, in Florida, where Mar-a-Lago exists, Donald Trump's favorite place. Please, white Jesus. Please, white <laughs> Jesus. But, but 
Oh, I, I have to wonder, like, if something bad happens to Mar-a-Lago, like, what will the president's response be? Will he be <laughs> so quick to cut funding? Will he use federal funds to help restore his own property? I mean, that could be really problematic and something that, you know, would he use? Do we think that this president would use federal funds to restore his personal property and defer those funds from people that actually need them? I absolutely think he wouldn't. He already tweeted that we should use federal funds for to help churches in Texas as well. So I tweeted him and asked, what about mosque? And of course he didn't respond. Right. <laughs> yeah. he's like, but he's no. <laughs> so, and, and before uh, we went on break, we were also talking about just the human costs and uh, the humanity, like, like politics aside. And there's something that uh, Marcella mentioned before break about how those who are uh, disenfranchised get hurt the most because they live in these vulnerable communities and they happen to be uh, marginalized. And it, uh, it made me remember how during the Flint water crisis, how many undocumented immigrants refused to open up their doors to receive clean water mm -hmm. because they were afraid that it was an ICE agent there to deport them. So you literally have people who are undocumented uh, refusing help, uh, survival and help, uh, because they're afraid that it will result in them not being here. Um, I wanted to get Marcella's uh, just uh, thoughts on that again, because, again, these are the most marginalized people and how this always translates to hurts them the most. Well, I, it's, I happened to go to Flint shortly after everything happened, and we were actually doing a training with a number of unions there. And the amount of pressure that gets placed on community centers, churches, is immense. And the lack of resources that they receive, because here's the thing. When a disaster happens, it's complete chaos on the ground. It's just, it's fear, it's anxiety, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you see the best in human behavior, sometimes you see the worst in human behavior, and then there's always a lack of communication because you're, you're trying to work with federal government, state government, local governments, and then the hearsay. You know, you can even add another layer of that, which is social media. People read things. So there's lack of clarity in moments like this for people on the ground. So you add to that, what if I don't speak the language? What if, you know, literacy sometimes is an issue? What if I don't know how to read? I mean, we had people in Flint who were boiling their water thinking it would make it better. And so, you know, you have core issues like this that when you couple that with lack of resources for your household, let's say you can't afford to leave the city that's just gotten hit. You can't afford to do, uh, you know, work on your home. And then the paperwork that's required to fill out in order to re receive assistance from any governmental agency. What if I don't have a computer? What if I don't know? <laughs> I mean, it is inhumane. And given that we know that, you know, natural disasters happen, there should be a better system in place to assist everybody independently of what their um, economic background is. Selena, um, I want to throw you on the spot real quick, but I think Jack has something to say. Yeah, I, just touching back to what we discussed briefly during the news roundup, I think that this is why it's so important if you're going to be donating to um, organizations that you donate to local organizations that have um, feet on the ground, that have established relationships within these communities. Um, you know, issues with the Red Cross aside, it's much easier for an organization who already has the foundation set up to take in that, you know, those resources and then be able to put out information that's correct and care for the people that they're already 
have established relationships with. I mean, something that we were discussing off air is that, you know, especially in a time of crisis, there's a lot of information that gets sent out. And oftentimes you'll see, especially on Facebook, right, you'll see people who think that they're doing the right thing and think that they're being helpful by providing information about immigration checkpoints that they hear about or, you know, some kind of like warning to their fellow friends on Facebook. But oftentimes this information is incorrect. And so it just you know, buzzes up a culture of fear, right? And so it's very difficult to trust whose information is correct, where to go for resources and for what you need. And so to be able to provide funding, I think, for organizations who are reputable, who have established relationships on the ground in these communities, I think is really important. Yeah, that's a good point, Jack. And I guess I will I will take that as a clapback to my Red Cross argument. It's a valid one. <laughs> good. Um, Selena, I want to put you on a spot. In college, you went to Katrina, oh, yeah. I think, a year after um You went to New happened. Orleans. Sorry, yeah, you went to Katrina. You went to New Orleans. A year, I'm rusty, guys. You went okay. to New Orleans a, a year after Hurricane Katrina hit. And I know, like, that was, like, a very impactful part of your life. But can you talk about just, like, how the relief efforts had reached the poor and working class people in that community or if had had it all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I participated in the Hurricane Katrina Relief Fund two consecutive years. Uh, the Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005. I went in 2006 and 2007. The Lower Ninth Ward, where I stayed and slept in an abandoned school, uh, that community was completely decimated. Mm. Um, it looked like the hurricane had struck the day before. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the French Quarter was completely revived, mm -hmm. thriving, and just a place that almost symbolized economic prosperity. I spoke to uh, one of, I forget her exact title, but she was working for the state of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. And I asked her, I said, I haven't been to New Orleans, well, I haven't been to the Lower Ninth Ward in a long time. How does it look? She said, like it did when yeah. you were there. Mm -hmm. And and, and, and it basically, she talked about how, like, this, the funding, it is only going to those parts that happen to support middle class homes that happen to support uh, dominantly white people and tourist areas and it was like it was not being trickled down like I happened to work with Common Ground when I was there at um, Hurricane uh, in the Relief Fund and Common Ground was um, an organization grassroots that uh, specifically put a lot of resources and focus on gutting the houses and the homes there and trying to rebuild that effort but it didn't seem like the government cared and it did change my life well just real quick um i'm gonna be a killjoy again as i've been this whole segment prepare for that florida and, and dallas yeah. well, because you know who we had in the white house when that happened george Look, bush there's someone worse right now. right and to Mar marcella's point earlier about environmental racism i mean this is what we see time and time again right we we see a natural disaster occur. Who gets the resources, right? Richer, whiter communities um, than poorer people of color, right? We see, um, you know, things that actively happen like garbage incineration plants mm -hmm. or, you know, plants that produce a lot of pollution not being built in rich white communities, right? They're being built in um, lower economic communities, right? So it's a huge issue. And I certainly think that this is going to be something that we can expect in the in the coming weeks, right, that aid is being provided to communities that have more resources, that are whiter, that have more money, um, and not to those that really need it the most. And I just want to plug in really quickly Naomi Klein's shock doctrine, because one of the things that happened in New Orleans shortly, not sh uh, shortly after Katrina, mm -hmm. was that they gutted the public education system mm -hmm. and they just just completely destroyed the union there, the teachers union there, and what came in? Charter schools. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things, you know, 
about natural disasters or just moments of shock in a in, in a region is that's when the right gets real organized and sneaks in those policies that are even more detrimental to our communities. And so it's kind of like we have to respond to the natural disaster or or the thing that's happened, a terror attack, whatever it may be, but keep eyes open because they're sneaky like that. Right? I'm it's a so, vulnerable moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that uh, you brought up that shock doc, uh, doctrine, doctrine uh, Marcella, because you're absolutely right. Like whenever something happens like that, whether it's a war or a political upheaval, uh, the government, especially those with, you know, underlying interests, mm-hmm. they come in and they create policies that are usually undemocratic or just hurt and target uh, the working class or the working poor. Um, we do have to wrap this conversation up. Uh, before we do, I just want to give the panel a uh, last moment to talk about uh, moving forward and uh, any organizations or or not-for-profits that you would suggest that our listeners could or should uh, try to use to donate to help these uh, the, the victims in Florida and in um, Texas and in the Caribbean as well. More killjoy. St. Martin was decimated. My sister's roof was blown off, so they need our help as well. Um, in New York City, Far Rockaway is still decimated from Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. My Miami and every, all the poor and black communities and, and um, undocumented communities in Florida will be decimated and the government will not care about them. Same thing in Texas. I know it sounds negative, but it's more likely the case. You want to help find ways to get money to those people. I would say look for school districts, especially for school districts who's like have experienced you know tremendous damage during these storms they are the ones that have to rebuild and you know i don't see them getting the resources required to be able to rebuild their schools so um something that i um, would encourage people to do if you don't know where the best place is you know there are great guides online but it can be overwhelming to sift through what's the most reputable place to donate to i would look at school districts that have experienced damage and see what you can do to help them out I unfortunately don't have like a name of something, but I definitely want to promote a lot of our churches, especially churches of color. Um, and one thing that I learned from, you know, being in Flint was the need for baby food and water. And that really that crushed me when it was just the babies. Yeah. Absolutely, guys. And I just want to end the segment by saying this quickly. Um, I I know everyone has eyes on Florida right now. We are hoping, wishing, praying for the best for them. And I think that if there's one thing that American citizens at the least should be able to depend on in times of crisis, it's government. But when you have government officials like Florida Governor Rick Scott, whose Department of Environmental Protection literally banned in 2015 uh, its official uh, officials from using terms climate change and global warming in official communications, that's a problem. When we have a president who has called the concept of climate change a hoax that was invented by the Chinese, that is a problem. When you have people like Scott Pruitt who runs the EPA ignoring climate science, that is a problem but we are the solution we have our voices we have uh, we can come together as organizers we can support the local organizations in our communities that are doing the good work and fighting the good fight uh, there's protests there's rallies there are a number of uh, different outlets that we can use to donate our money and also donate time and resources and just let our governors know, our excuse me, our officials know that we will not stand for this. Yes, there there are loonies in office right now 
who refuse to believe the facts and science on this, but we know what's true. And at the end of the day, the people that voted them in, they're going to be hurt the most. So I hope that they wake up or else we'll see where they end up. Uh, On that note, we are going to take another quick break. But Stanley's going to come back with a quickie slash rant right here (laughs) on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Quickly, just kidding. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill, who's recording me on her pink phone. I'm also here with Jackie Cohen, and of course, the immaculate Marcella Bacientana. Is that what's oh <laughs> that was an accident when I mispronounced Mar- her name? Sorry, help it, Marcella Barrientos. Also, and now she is playing me on her Snapchat. I don't know what's going on with Selena. She is just problematic. All rules problematic hill. All, all those work vacations have yeah, made right. her reckless. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, guys, speaking of being reckless at work, Selena is not reckless at work, guys. I'm just teasing her. But speaking of being reckless at work, I want to talk to you guys about a young man named Pedro Hernandez. And if you haven't heard of him, he was a young man who had spent about a year in Rikers Island where he was assaulted by a correction officer and also maced to the point that now he is partially blind in one of his eyes. He is 17 years old. He was accused of shooting someone in the leg when he shot into a crowd. This happened despite witnesses on hand saying that he was not the shooter. This happened despite the person that wrote the actual confession saying it was him coming out later on to say that he was forced to give out that confession. Pedro Hernandez was stuck in Rikers. And fun fact, the district attorney's office gave him a $250,000 bail and they made put an extra rule in there that said that instead of only having to pay 10% of it you had to pay the whole thing why do I know this because it's been in the news but also I've been very involved and active in trying to stand up and fight for this young man Pedro Hernandez who has gone through this ordeal while in while in Rikers, Pedro got his degree he also got accepted to college and has a scholarship he will be starting in January when we were finally able to get him out the Bronx District Attorney's Office pushed, tried to push to make sure that when he went back to trial, that he'll be put in jail for the longest amount of period of time. But guess what happened about two days ago? All charges got dropped. That's right. Funny, right? So, fun fact, Sean King, former writer for the New York Daily News, and now, you know, he's doing his own thing. He put out a series called Soul Snatchers, where he's been documenting the the kind of criminal and negligence that has been going on in the Bronx 42nd Police District. There's a police officer there, David Terrell, who has been known to be very violent and going after people. Apparently, Terrell and other officers have arrested Pedro Hernandez several times, at least Four times for other serious crimes. One was attempted murder. One was armed robbery. One was petted larceny. And another one was for, 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 for having drugs. All four times those cases had been dropped. All four times. This is the fifth time now that Pedro Hernandez has been charged with something where there was no evidence and the case was eventually dropped. David Terrell has known to be a menace in that neighborhood in the Bronx, but also the person that has helped him to harass people like Pedro Hernandez is the assistant district attorney mm. who, despite lack of evidence, has pushed these cases through. Despite it being obvious that this this officer is very problematic, has stood by his side and gone after kids like Pedro because it isn't just Pedro this has happened to. There are countless other young women and men in the Bronx, in that neighborhood, who have been arrested on false premises and then being, been forced to accuse other people of crimes to help the police 
hit their quotas. So now as Pedro walks free, he has a long road ahead, and we have to make sure we have his back. But it just speaks to the larger issue. The reason the police are not accountable is because they don't have to be. When you have an assistant district attorney and a criminal justice system that lets them do what they want, and in many cases works in partnership with them, you can get away with almost anything. Pedro Hernandez is not a story that's happening in Alabama, or we would expect it to, or in Mississippi, or even in Texas or Georgia. No, it is in liberal bastion New York City. Hundreds of black and brown bodies are being snatched from their homes late at night by police officers, getting trumped up charges, and then district attorneys are co-signing it, and these kids are staying in jail. And if you think it's bad here, imagine what's happening in New Orleans, where the prisoners work as indentured servers all across the state houses, or in Texas, where you know their governor loves electrocuting black people. Imagine what's happening all across this country. Pedro Hernandez, who is one boy, who has one story, and hopefully it'll be a triumphant one, is just an example of the larger problem we have in our system. And the more I learn about it and the more involved I get, it becomes more obvious to me that we are rotting at the core and that it's time that we stand up. So please, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stand with Pedro Hernandez, stand with all the black and brown bodies who have been take, who have been getting ripped off and taken advantage of by our corrupt criminal justice system. Thank you for that, Stanley, uh, closing out about the Pedro Hernandez, a devastating case. Guys, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, uh, calling in and uh, listening today on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Special guests to our, uh, a special thanks to our special guest, Marcella. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Sorry, too late. And I want to give a shout out to indigenous and native populations across the world who have taught us how we should treat immigrants that arrive to our lands and have always been at the front line of environmental justice issues. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was a great closing statement. Just to wrap up the overarching theme here about, uh, you know, the end of DACA and now the end of the world. <laughs> Not to be too <laughs> apocalyptic. But um, yeah, so guys, if you want to uh, check out Let Your Voice Be Heard, hit us up online. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeHeard underscore radio. You can follow us on Facebook at Let Your Voice Be Heard. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher and iHeartRadio at Let Your Voice Be Heard. Until next week, happy Sunday, guys, and stay alive. Yay. Yeah. <laughs>